0: Let's do one more. This one's titled, I don't have enough good words. (laughs) Exclamation point five stars. Amy Marie 18. (laughs) So wonderful. Thank you guys for taking this on. That was good. That was good, Steve. (laughs) So thanks for leaving that review. You guys, please, it would help us so much if you would leave a rating and or review wherever you listen to this podcast. Hello, friends, this is Steve from Fun Parts. One of the things we've known since the day we started the show was that we wanted to be very intentional about welcoming, highlighting, and celebrating the voices, perspectives, and stories of others within the Fun Parts listening community and outside of it, too. It's taken a little while, but we're finally able to begin doing just that. This is a threesome. A bonus episode in which one or two of us sit down with one or two of you, friends of the show, to hear your story. Today's threesome features a conversation between our very own Luke Bronner and Becky Patton and special guest Pastor Micah Witham. Our hope is that you'll find his story encouraging, inspiring, and informative. And that you'll allow it to serve as a conversation starter between you and the people in your community. So without further ado, here's threesome number two with Pastor Micah Witham.
1: My name is Micah Witham. I am a pastor of a church called Awakened Community in St. Paul, Minnesota, a church I planted about 10 years ago. So I'm in the trenches. I'm trying to lead a community and as it relates to fun parts in this, the topic of your podcast, you know, trying to create space for a new imagination for the conversation between the church and this idea or this topic of sexuality. So yeah, that's who I am.
2: So I'm curious, Micah, in the realm of sexuality, how has your church like, how do you guys actually make space for a language of sexuality?
1: Yeah, I think we even talked about this the other night at dinner, Becky, but I think normal is what you make it. And by that I mean if you never talk about something and you your body language, the actual words that you choose to use around a topic is always cautious or avoidant, then that thing becomes cautious and avoidant. And conversely, if something is normalized and you talk about it as normal, people will begin to experience it as normal. And so I think as much as possible, you know, when sex or sexuality comes up in conversations or or in sermons and teachings, as a communicator, I'm trying my best to just speak about it as if it were completely normal. Because I think as we do that as pastors and as leaders, then People don't have to squirm because the person who's leading the conversation isn't squirming or, you know, giving all kinds of caveats. So I would say first, just to speak about it as if it were normal, I think is a huge step in the right direction. And at Awaken, I think we've created intentional space around the topic of of sexuality, in particular because we're, you know, kind of square in the middle of the evangelical tradition around same-sex relationships. And so we've, you know, made space intentionally to have that conversation which, you know, isn't a foregone conclusion for an increasing number of Christians. And so we've tried to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to talk about this. We're going to do it in ways that are kind and respectful and honest. Um, we're going to take the scriptures very seriously. But we're also going to take the testimony of our brothers and sisters very seriously as well. And the tradition that we come from and the movement of the Holy Spirit, which is alive and well. You know, we're interested in a living word, not a static and frozen two-dimensional word. So... Yeah, those are a couple of ways. Does that Mm -hmm. get to answering your question?
2: Yeah, that does. The community that you are a part of is diverse sexually. And Mm -hmm. it has been a welcoming place for people, regardless of their sexual orientation. And just, it's like, come, just come as you are. Mm -hmm. I realize. sorry, Luke, I used that word again. I'm so sorry. What's that? Come. I'm trying to not use sexual terms, (sighs) but... I'm so sorry. Notice,
1: I had a totally straight face. I you was two poker. both
2: had a straight face. Like, I did you? Hear I, I heard.
1: Oh, I heard it absolutely. And,
3: and I, I said
2: like, it twice, what? and Luke, that's yeah. the thing you keep telling me. Would you quit same things twice? Anyway. My You've brain would been... not have
3: gone there, but for you pointing it out. Oh, it would not. No, oh, I'm no, so sorry. yeah. Okay, I mean, let's, start, let's start over, Becky.
2: Yeah. Okay, let's just start over. Okay, yeah. your commu- you've made space in your community for people to bring their sexuality, regardless yeah. of what it is, in a way that it's just like, you are welcome here. Yep. And I love that about your community. I love the ways in which it has, you haven't shied away from it, but you've also been exploratory and asking questions. Like, mm-hmm. how can we, that are from a more conservative background, how do we love well? And find a language that is universal and normal for all, not just for one populace. And I think what I've found in some of the people that I've had the opportunity to work with in your community that I find so beautiful is they come curious. Hmm. And I think you've helped with creating that space. And I think the key, and this is what I find repeatedly, is curiosity has got to be the underlying current Hmm. for all of us that are learning about sexuality and spiritual. It just, it, we just have to be curious.
1: Yeah. Well, I think part of the problem that the church has is we've been peddling certainty for so long mm. and not only are, are we, that's what we're offering, you know, as the, the, the establishment certainty, but that's what people crave now, right? We've created this, this structure where what people want when they come to church is they want to, they want to know what's certain. They want to know what's true. Want to know what's right. So that they don't go out there and get it wrong. And that's just the antithesis of faith. Like that's not that's not faith. That's something else. Yeah. So, you know, we've created this structure and this whole like belief system around this myth of certainty. And I think that's part of the reason why why you know we don't come curious because we can't be curious. Because if we get it wrong, you know, God's gonna be pissed. And so there's a lot of people who are out there scared to even ask mm-hmm. questions. You know, they're curious. God knows they are. I mean, raise a teenager for crying out loud. But you get in into religious institutions and religious settings and that curiosity gets kind of like beaten out of them because we, c- we can't afford to get it wrong. And I think that's really tragic. I think that produces a really damaging experience, but I think it actually produces a really anemic and, and weak faith. That's not ready for the world that we live in. So we're trying to do something different. And I think, I think you're right. Curiosity. You know, we, we, when we first started the church, we we reprinted bumper stickers and one of them was, um, and we did, we stumbled on this one. It like, it was grace permission to question. And so people were driving around town, awakening community permission to question. And that really became a part of the ethos of our church where it's like, we're not afraid of questions. Because if someone's really actually seeking truth, and I trust that there's a God out, I believe that there is a God out there, and that that God, that Spirit, which is alive in the, in the world, is leading people to truth. Where will they end up if they're really yes. after truth? Well, they'll they'll find the truth if they're really after truth. And and we're like submitting to like God lead us. Like we, I don't have to be afraid as a as a leader. I don't have to be scared when people are asking questions and they're really honestly seeking truth. Mm-hmm. Right. We have a robust assurance,
2: which I think yeah. a lot of people are seeking. Like you said, a lot of people are seeking assurance. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: I'm curious, Micah, you said, maybe I misunderstood you. You said that your congregation, maybe theologically, you said is, is sort of right square in the center of evangelicalism. Is that what you said?
1: That is what I said.
3: Because and none I of what you, say... you have described is... is <laughs> consistent with my experience
2: uh, you have, you of yeah yeah folks I, I who are mean, right are square in the middle of and, and I'm you know, know, you you guys know are.
1: I'm I want to actually go back further you know and claim the roots of the evangelical movement in 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 America right so part of the tradition that I'm a part of in the evangelical covenant church is the pietist tradition which is rooted in Germany um, in like the you know mid 1700s But then it makes its way into Sweden and Scandinavia and then into America. I will not bore you with details, but I will say this. The pietists were born out of dissent, meaning they were a group of people who were asking questions. The state church was saying, you can't serve communion if you're not a clergy. You can't study the Bible without a licensed pastor with you. And they just said, like, where is it written? So the whole thing is like rooted in dissent. They dissented from... The establishment and they ask questions, and they said, "No, this person clearly, this person has a relationship with the living Christ." So, this idea of a really small centered or or a centered set instead of a bounded set. Uh, are you familiar with this language that I'm speaking of? Mm-mm. So, bounded set is like your classic fundamentalist community. Doesn't matter if it's religious or not. Very concerned about the edges, who's in and who's out. Mm-hmm most of the energy in the community is spent patrolling the edges to determine who's in and who's out. Everybody knows how to get yourself kicked out. Mm-hmm. And it's so there's gotta, a line. Yeah, there's constantly
2: cross. a line you're monitoring. Yes, okay. exactly.
1: Versus a centered set. This is actually a psychological term comes out of like the sixties and seventies, but versus a centered set, which is the, the thing in that think about like the gravitational pull of the earth or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. What's in the center is the thing that matters most. And we trust that that thing will actually draw people to it. So translate this to a, to a religious community and you've got a whole bunch of people who are pharisaical, patrolling the edges and the rules and the regulations to ensure who's in and who's out versus a group of people who are trusting that the spirit of God is alive and at work and that Jesus's life and teachings and resurrection actually are living water. Then we don't have to spend all that energy patrolling the edges, and making sure that everybody checks all the boxes, Mm -hmm. we can say, well, what's essential? And it's a really, really small set of things in the Christian story, in my opinion, about the Bible, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, right? Think the Apostles' Creed. So at Awaken, while we are in the evangelical tradition, I'm attempting to lead and offer an understanding and a version of that that is less concerned about all the things Christians fight over sexuality being one of the main ones and Mm -hmm. more concerned about, are you alive in Christ? Have you experienced new life in this Jesus? And if you have, then I can extend freedom to you as my brother and you can extend freedom to me because we trust the spirits alive in each other when we disagree on something that's not essential. So on this topic of sexuality, we've just said your conclusion on whether or not same-sex relationships are God-honoring or not, that's important. And I, I, want, I encourage you as your pastor to study and ask questions and talk to gay people. And, and also, you can come to a conservative conclusion and still be a part of our community so long as you don't demand that someone who comes to a different conclusion agree with you. So we, we talk about wells and fences. We're doing a well. We're not doing fences.
2: The other thing that I think is so important about that, the difference between if there's something in the center, there's freedom for whatever is there in the center um, for people to have had different experiences with that. And I I think that's why we use the language a lot on fun parts like divine. We use, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's God, spirit, there's there's just different language that different people have that different people feel comfortable with. And I think it's really important to make space for the difference depending upon where you're where what angle you're looking at, that center piece, right. and what you're being drawn to, because I think that there has been so much, and this is one of my deepest regrets, and I keep running into this, is there's been so much damage done around the language that people have to embrace in order to be on the inside. And it's like, I I, I could care less about the language. I'm more concerned. I I really want to see like, okay, what are you experiencing? Mm -hmm. And I just think the one place for sure that we don't need to experience shame is in these bodies. Right. And that's my bigger concern is we have created a segmentation in Christianity of people's bodies. So their hands. Great. Those are great. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. I can see that. You can, you can touch your hands. You can touch your shoulders, like the head, shoulders, knees, Mm -hmm. and toes, but anything that has to do genitalia wise, what ends up happening is that suddenly becomes this segmented piece out that we have to have a different conversation with. And I think there needs to be a reorientation around the wholeness of the whole body being created and bearing the image of God. And so therefore that way our genitalia becomes a part of a conversation, not a singular conversation that's happening out here. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Don't disagree.
3: Yeah. I would say to just to go back a little bit, I can testify to Becky. You mentioned the curiosity that sort of is prevalent, Micah, your church and uh, Micah, you and I met for the first time almost a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. At an event that Becky, you were you were leading, I guess like a seminar, like a series of classes for young people in that community who were wrestling through some of these questions. And as to their curiosity, we we have during season two of Fun Parts, which is coming very soon, Mm -hmm. we've recorded a number of these fun parts after dark sort of bonus episodes, pulling from questions that they asked that we, you know, we kept those questions. Mm -hmm. They're all anonymous, but like, I still have them. The amount of questions that, that, that from the one evening that I was there that we left with, Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable. The questions and the freedom, I think that the people in your community clearly feel to ask those questions. I mean, the permission you mentioned is real.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I admire that. Yeah. I think one of the, you know, one of the gifts that fun parts offers to a person like me. Becky, you mentioned this kind of language that is as inclusive as possible, right? So your your intentionality around using language that allows as many people to be at the table as possible. As a pastor who's leading in a community day in and day out, that's a gift. Uh, I would also say there just isn't much out there, You know this, which is why you're doing this podcast. But like, Mm -hmm. I was so excited to be able to have a link to send to people and say, hey, if you're interested in at all in this conversation around our bodies and our spirituality and what it means to be a whole and integrated person, these are people that I love and that I trust who are offering something in the world that I think is going to bear fruit. So to be able to like have a link to send, man, that's just gold for people like me doing the work that I do. It's awesome. Thank so thank you. you. Thank you for
3: doing well, the but work. Thank
2: you. Thank you for trusting us with that too. Because oh, for it's sure. Like it's, and it's actually been fun. Luke, I'm having fun. Are you having fun?
3: I am. I mean, I, I squirm a lot as well, but I think we've made that pretty clear through the, the first season <laughs> and certainly the second season. I think for folks yeah. <laughs> who are, are going to stick around for the second season that we're maybe looking for a little more depth in the conversation, you know, that mm-hmm. they maybe weren't at the starting line that I was at and maybe still met. I think they will find that in season two. We, we went a lot farther, I think. Yeah. So It's great.
2: Well, I think we do. I think we do. Yeah. I think you're right. Luke. I think we may, uh, who knows, we may um, step over the line a little bit in season two. <laughs> no, whatever the line is. I don't know what the line is yeah. anymore, but. Um,
1: Listen, the people yeah. that are going to leave have already left. So you're free.
2: Yeah. I, it's, it's so funny because I actually turned 60 this March and I'm actually really looking forward to it. I have just enjoyed something about my later fifties just being, I mean, like, who cares? I don't, I don't care what people think anymore. And it, there's just such a freedom and there's something about the 60 finish line that feels like, huh, I mean, who the heck is going to tell me not to talk about it now, you know? And it's like, um, so it just really feels like a good marker for me. I'm, I'm real, actually really excited about it. Um, but I, I'm, here's the thing is, is I, I'm not speaking to try and offend people. I really am speaking to try and draw people in. And that's really been, um, and I've been appreciative of you, Luke, just helping me just kind of go, Becky, pull back just a little bit. Just let's be a little bit more careful here. And that's been good for me because I don't want to offend people, but I do want to challenge people.
3: Yeah. Um, well, and I, and I mean, I think I the think... same is true, obviously in, in the other way around, like I, there is 0% chance that I would be having this conversation in any other context, but for fun parts. And so mm-hmm. I think that for all of the maybe break pumping that you've done to, you know, to accommodate me, I'm still being expanded Every single time we talk and and that's not even just on the air that's every single time we talk. I feel an expanse an, an expansion happening uh, and and it's it's interesting my wife would even testify to this in the months between season one finishing and like we're sort of i'm just now starting to really edit season two. my capacity to have this conversation it wanes. It it absolutely wanes. And so I think for her, she's like, okay, you need to go record another season now. Like you need to get back to where you are comfortable having this conversation because I'm still not to a place where I can maintain mm-hmm. the vulnerability, I guess, to be mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Maybe that's just what intimacy is. I don't know. But, but yeah, it's interesting. It's like a marked difference when we are not actively producing the show
2: well and there's a there's a there's a chemical reason for that too luke that's really important to recognize and part of that's one of the reasons why we need to be so careful that we're actually engaging in these conversations because our brain literally knows how to hit the stop button we've trained it that way our brain knows how to feel the shame around our body our brain knows all those different things and so every time we engage in an an intentional way with and I, i i will say we have to That's why we've gotta do kindness. We need to be kind to ourselves, and we need to be compassionate because compassion means I will walk with you in this. And I don't, and that's one of my big things is I have really wondered in some of this, um, how do we keep people in the conversation so that they get to continually allow those brain um, dendrite pathways to be able to be challenged, to feel the tension, because tension is actually good. Tension is what grows our brain, but how do we give it healthy tension? That it's like, oh no, this is actually good. Okay, this is engaging with our body. And so, Luke, I just wanna say that's a really common element. And it's like, well, Micah, you know me well enough that there's rarely a conversation that we have that doesn't involve something to do with sex.
1: It it often comes up.
2: It does, but it's not, but it's not like I'm, but it's not like I'm trying to push it. It's like, there's this opportunity and it's like, I look for those opportunities and then I come in with those opportunities because what I, I, and even I, I'm not to, I mean, I, I know we get to edit all this stuff out, but the reality is, is the other night sitting around your dining room table. It came up somehow very naturally. Mm-hmm. And it was, and one of your daughters was a little more uncomfortable. And I just reached over and put my hand on her. And did you notice that the color in her face went from red? Mm. She just began to calm down mm-hmm. because it was like, then I'm right there. We're we're with her. And that's one of the things that I think is so needed in these conversations is we need Personal face to face conversation, and we need engagement. So it's like, but we need to step into those risky places because Mm -hmm. it could have reward for us. I honestly think it could. So yeah, I um, I
1: think if I could be so bold as like to offer any encouragement, I know there are a whole bunch of parents out there in the world who grew up in the traditions that we grew up in. Luke, I'm looking at you. Mm -hmm. um, Who really have no idea what we're doing because no, there was no model for a healthy relationship to our bodies and to sex. Um, and so we're kind of fumbling around in the dark, trying to figure it out. And so having something like fun parts to even geared towards, Hey, you parents out there who have, you know, budding adolescent children um, here, have them listen to this episode and then have a conversation with them. Um, you know, I think could be really interesting. I've, I've thought about like sharing episodes with my 17 year old and her girlfriends be like, Hey, there's a whole lot of people informing you about sex and I'm not sure that I agree with everything that they're telling you. So how about listen to this and then let's have a conversation, you know? Yeah.
3: I love that. Look,
2: that's ki- not a bad idea for us to even just do one just for adolescents.
3: Oh yeah, we can do a whole we can do fun parts for kids. That's a whole nother series we can do. I feel like you could knock that out, Becky, but
2: mm. that would be so <laughs> fun. <laughs>
3: It really would be fun.
1: Go ask your parents these questions,
2: you know?
3: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Seriously. Homework.
2: And watch them squirm.
3: (laughs) Micah, I have existed vocationally in another life as a, as a pastor myself. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I am, I do not exist in that capacity anymore, (laughs) nor do I intend Mm -hmm. to again, but I I know sort of what the instincts are like. And I'm curious with you as you listen to season one, Mm -hmm. and maybe this is a little bit self-serving, but as you hear parts of my story coming out of mm-hmm. of just the, man, the, the very limited ideas that I had uh, mm-hmm. about what could or could not be said or, you know, experienced. I'm curious mm-hmm. if you had moments of the sort of pastoral instinct, but coming from your theological center, moments that you would have had things to say to me. So maybe mm-hmm. the simpler way to say it is... What what would you say pastorally to folks like me who mm. who maybe are carrying some of this purity culture baggage into the conversation?
1: Yeah, boy, that's a good that's a good question. I'll I'll answer that question um, just by sharing kind of a mantra or a sentence, a question that that I keep coming back to, and that is this. So. I'm going to assume you and I are in a similar situation. We grew up in similar settings um, and we were told similar things about our bodies and about sex and about what you could or couldn't do or what you could or couldn't imagine was good. And I, I keep coming back to the question, what is the fruit of that culture? What's the fruit that's been born in the world because of that way of thinking? And I just think if we're honest, it hasn't been good. Well, okay. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing twice and expecting to get different results. And I think if I want, if we want to see different fruit in the world around sex and around our bodies and around people of faith, then we got to start thinking about it differently. So freedom to think about it differently, to question some of the things that you think are unquestionable as it relates to sex and God Um, permission to do that. Uh, And and I, and you know, my wife and I have had these conversations around what are we going to, what are we telling our kids about sex? Do I believe that like they should save themselves for marriage or they're going to sin? Do I believe that anymore? 10 years ago, I wouldn't even have asked that question. So, um, yeah, I guess I would want to, as a pastor, I would want to just, you know, arrive underneath that quest and that um, discomfort in you or in anyone else and say, you can ask those questions and keep your face, you know, towards what's true and good and will bear good fruit in the world. Like, if that's what you're after, then we can go on that journey together.
3: I love that. I think that speaks to again the permission piece that you offered. That's why this is why this is so valuable and vital. I think for faith communities to create that space, that very intentional space for questioning, because the instinct, mine included, and I've been a part of the church my entire life, with the exception of mm. three years of my twenties that I just really needed to to question. And even with that, my instinct is is to still throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's to be like well if if what they told me was wrong then i'm right. i'm done with the whole thing and yeah. and in a lot of ways i am done with the whole thing but mm-hmm. but not in every way and th- and that's sure. and it's because thankfully i'm also part of a community where where the questions are welcome and yeah. um and where some of the questions just have different answers than what i grew up with and i'm thankful for that mm-hmm. but i say all that to say i think this would be that's that's a perfect response i think and and i believe it in The con when you have created a context where those questions are always welcome, yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense, but
2: mm-hmm. yeah, I'm curious also, Micah, given where you're at as a community right now, are there things or topics that you would like to see discussed more mm. besides teens with your adolescents? I got that one, I, I'm yeah. making a list, so yeah. up that one, yeah,
1: that's a good one, that's a good question. I think, I mean my mind immediately goes to as a, you know, as a pastor, as a theologian, as somebody who cares about the Bible, um, and how it's read. I don't know that there's a lot of spaces out there who are, who are, um, having open dialogue and debate about like the best traditional hermeneutics and the best, like, you know, um, what's the word people are using revisionist, but I don't know that that's your podcast either. Um, you know, I, I think know, that, that 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 they very that very, very very well might scare off a whole bunch of other people, you know, <laughs> that you want there that you that you, you don't want to scare off. Um, well, but,
2: no, I think that we've got nerdy 30. I mean, that's 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 yeah. kind of how we go into it, is a little bit just but yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think you know, it would be interesting to um, this might this might be a better way to approach that topic, but like to have somebody like Steve share his journey theologically. What were the moments, or or authors, or arguments that moved him in his journey to to saying, "I think I've actually been reading those passages incorrectly, and I think there's a there's a more life giving and more God honoring and more like person honoring way to read the the Bible around same sex relationships." That might be an interesting episode because people are, people ask me more- like you've changed your mind on this. And I'm like, yeah, I have, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I 10 years ago, I would have said same sex relationships are sin. Mm-hmm. And today I'm not going to say that. How did mm-hmm. that happen?
3: I would be willing yeah. to bet that there were real people involved with that transformation in your life. Real, actual human beings.
1: Her name was Laura.
3: Yep. Mine was Janie. Not
1: my wife. Mm.
3: Yeah, I think that's always the case. I think that like the thing, if anything is going to break us out of harmful theology, it's being in relationship with those who are being harmed
1: by that theology. Say it again, Luke. That is so well said. Yeah. God forbid that our relationships would impact our interpretations.
2: Which just takes me to the whole element is I, scripture, living, the living word is meant to be studied in a living way. With right. real breath, with dialogue, with conversation, versus I grew up in a tradition of monologue, and mm. it is I think one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given is when I first started having dialogue, well, with the rabbi, yeah, yeah, in a more Socratic way, and something came alive in me, and I mm. went, oh, my whole life I've been waiting for this, and I knew that I knew that I knew I would never view scripture the same way, yeah. So it's been a yeah.
1: journey it's of awakening else- too. I mean, I think, you know, people of faith, Christians in particular, anyone who's open to the possibility of a more inclusive theology has a very predictable next question or first question, which is like, so threesomes, is that on the table? Polyamory, is that on the table, right? It's like, well, what is the line? Where is, and I don't know how you would you know uh, how you would tackle that topic but you know the fears that come from a uh, a growing or a inclusive more inclusive theology what do you, so this is um i talk about like a theological yard sale in seminary for me it was like get everything out of the house and interrogate all these beliefs that i've uh, adhered to to determine like women in ministry got to go like, I don't believe that anymore, that women shouldn't teach or lead. So what do we keep mm-hmm. in our theologies around sex and the body? What do you believe is like a God-honoring sexual ethic?
2: You know, it's, it's interesting even saying that because um, if we see, I mean, I, I think that, yeah, I think we're going to have to, we will end up addressing a lot of that in um, different seasons and stuff like that but one of the things i contain that's one of the reasons why i think season 1 we started with explaining terms like tove we started mm-hmm. which tove yeah. i mean what is the, what's the fruit from this what is the fruit that's actually happening from this and i and i and we started playing around and Luke, I, you've just been brilliant in this um, i'm so grateful for you but you've been so brilliant in being able to say let's get three people together. let's have a threesome let's do that mm-hmm. and the whole time and, you know, everything's a, and like when we do four people it's foreplay i mean yeah. we're just every we're doing a Play on all these words. But part of what I started to realize, even as you were talking there, Mike, I was going, you know, when you have two people that are coming together and they really are wanting to literally be present to the God, divine, creator, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. you've got a nice threesome there already. You really do have a threesome there. And I think too often we want to run to something literal before we experience something divine so in that I mean when you were saying so where is the line is the line Mm -hmm. at threesomes is the line at Pollyanna or Mm -hmm. or and I my my whole thing is is I'm not here to tell people what the line is that's really not what I'm but I am here to help people examine the fruit of what they choose right and in that I want to find and I just and I I don't know first time I just went oh my gosh We have threesomes. If if people are really present to the other person Mm -hmm. with their partner and present to the presence of divine creator, God, whatever that Mm -hmm. is for them, that is actually the perfect threesome right there. Mm -hmm. Because to really vulnerably open yourself up to another human being and to really vulnerably enter into another human being in a Mm -hmm. physical, emotional, spiritual way, it is going to expand you in very, very deep ways. And it's gonna challenge you in very, very deep ways. I I think people are continuing, at least in my work where I'm working with people, what I'm finding repeatedly, and I always get surprised by something new at least once a week. Mm -hmm. Well, not once a week, maybe once every other week now, but it's like somebody shows up with something new and I'm like, oh, I haven't heard that before, okay. Mm-hmm. Can but I always have to go back to the basics of like okay like let's talk about fruit first. What right. does fruit actually right. mean? And I think we've gotten so quickly to wanting to silence what we fear, mm-hmm. so we go out here seeking something so we can feel something. And I'm I I'm not here to say that threesomes foursomes are wrong. I'm here to say. I really want to examine the fruit. For me, they would be wrong because mm-hmm. I the richness that I experience with one, mm-hmm. I can't imagine expanding that to more.
1: Yeah, yeah. Even in my question, I realized like, what am I after there? I'm after, you know. I, well, well, what's the what's what what's certain out there? Uh huh. You know, and and I do think that 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 sort of metric of what fruit is this bearing in my life and in the other p- person's life and the world? Um, can that be, is that enough? Mm-hmm. I like guess people who believe in this Jesus and um, can, can that be our metric for what's right and wrong?
3: I mean, I think one of the places that we land and I don't know if this, I, it's all blurring together for me at this point. I don't remember what was, In season one (laughs) and what is about to be in season two because they've both, you know, fully happened for me. But I know at the very, very minimum, the line that we have decided to draw or that we have agreed upon is enthusiastic consent. So, like, Mm. you know, regardless of where we each land on the ethic of monogamy or polyamorous orientation I think that enthusiastic consent is the, is the very most yep, basic. Yep. That's like, basic. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and if yeah. it's not, if it's not a, a situation that is safe or that is agreed upon by those participating, at the very least we know that.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Yep. Yep. That that well, not got on and right. I think that's
2: a fine, that's a fine line too, is, um, because I, I was watching a TV show here recently and the, the older guy said to the younger guy, um, your cock does not have a conscience. You have the conscience. So everything you do is so don't 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 run from the integrity of who you truly are. And I, I just thought that was so kind. It was such a kind way to talk to a young boy about um, because he was this young boy was talking about um, he just feels like he doesn't have any control and blah 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 Mm -hmm. and all that and it's like no you actually do Mm -hmm. but it's like there's but there's this this beautiful element of sometimes we need to make the decision about what is right for us not when we're in the throes of sexual acts but mm-hmm. when we're in our full mind and our full body and looking from our what I would call our fully adult resource self, yeah. because at the core, I think sexual acts are basic bottom line. They're very narcissistic.
0: Um, mm.
2: They're two human beings that really want something mm-hmm. or I mean, there, there's and so I think at the core, yeah, there's an element of narcissism, narcissism that's primal. Mm-hmm. In human beings when they engage in it. And so, for enthusiastic um, consent to happen, it needs to be when we're not in our, it ha- needs to be all the way through the act, but it needs to begin when we're not actually in a place where it's already yeah. been compromised. And we've crossed into the compromise, com- being compromised with, um, wait, I really want this, I really want this, mm-hmm. because I'm already over a certain line. Yeah. And, um, that's where I think enthusiasm, that's where we have to have some sort of idea of like, what do I believe is okay? What don't, yeah. and not be just about experimentation will tell me whether or not I believe that. Yeah. I just, I, I just think that there's a, there's an element of that for all of us. There is a, yeah, there is an emotion, there, um, a physical line. Once we start that is very hard to then determine
0: mm-hmm. where
2: consent is at. And that's why it's, that's one of the conversations so much that we need to have with adolescents, helping them to be able to think through this before they're actually mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. those wonderful teenage hormones. Great. I'm curious how this as a father of three teenage girls mm-hmm. or two teenagers, one almost teenager. Yeah. Is there anything from Fun Parts that has felt particularly helpful in being a father?
1: i appreciate the um of course i hope that my kids are already getting this from laura and i but the affirmation of like your body is good you are good you are beloved made in the image of a divine being that is infinite love that seems to come up again and again and again i appreciate that i know one of the things that wasn't addressed. Well, growing up in a culture where let's say a person does want to save themselves sexually, you know, the giving of oneself fully in sex until marriage, giving them tools to do that. Well, you know, um, talking about masturbation and how, because, you know, while I may have this commitment, the reality of my body and its needs or desires or wants just physiologically, not to, not to mention emotionally or, um, sexually, they don't stop, regardless if I, if I make that commitment. So I think you know the normal the normalizing of self pleasure um, as a healthy expression of sexuality for a single person uh, or a person not involved in a sexual relationship. That I think is something that the church and and you know my kids growing up in in a church community or or atmosphere. I'm glad that they would hear that the way in which that's normalized. Yeah. Hearing, hearing two women, you know, teach. (laughs) I appreciate that. Learning, having men learn from women, the the, the reciprocity and the, yeah, there's a real egalitarianism around the table as I listen. I appreciate that. And those are a few things. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well,
3: rest assured there'll be more of that in season two in that there was one evening when we were recording that I believe it was only Becky and I in the room. And with all of my discomfort and all of her comfort, we had, I think it was a conversation about your top five sex toys or something. And it was, or maybe it was specifically vibrators. It was something where it was like, like, I was pretty flushed the whole time. So uh, (laughs) there's definitely more of that. And you were
2: wondering, you kept wanting somebody, where is everybody else? Where are you guys? Where'd you go?
1: They're standing outside in the hallway, just laughing at you. It was all planned. Yeah. It makes sense.
3: Well, Micah, it's so good to meet you again. And I look forward to, I'm sure there is another Minnesota trip in the works in the next several months. It'd be great to connect again. So keep up the good work. Appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. Thank you. Thank
2: you so much, Mike. I appreciate it.
1: See you guys. All
2: right. Bye.
0: Our sincerest thanks to Micah Witham for joining us today. This episode was produced by Becky Patton and Luke Bronner. It was edited and mixed by the one and only Luke Bronner. Our artwork was designed by Alan Lusink, and the music you hear was composed, produced and licensed by Blue Dot Sessions. Check out our website at funpartspodcast.com and be sure to follow us on the socials at funpartspodcast. Lastly, if you want access to bonus and behind-the-scenes content from this and other Millieu Media Group shows, join our neighborhood at the Patreon link in the show notes.